Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fivoli, Staff Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. Actuaries have traditionally had an interest in modeling healthcare costs, but Canada's public healthcare system has provided limited opportunities for the profession to participate. So to provide an insider's look at the sort of modeling that is done within the public health sphere, we're joined today by Stafford Dean, who's the Senior Program Officer for Analytics at Alberta Health Services. Thanks very much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Chris. Pleased to be able to share my experiences and natural angle on healthcare data and analytics. Yeah, well, let's start with that. Maybe can you summarize your background for us? And I do understand you have a little bit of actuarial exposure along the way there as well. Yeah, that's correct. So I've been in healthcare for about 30 years now. I've been fortunate enough to uh, work in many different levels, the ministry levels, um, some council levels, and then right down into the delivery system with my current role right now as uh, Chief Data and Analytics Officer for Alberta Health Services. I did pursue actuarial science early in the early 90s at the UC and did get a degree in actuarial science. And I did a lot of the exams, in particular, I remember the life contingencies one. I still have dreams about that one. I don't know why I can't shake that, but for some reason I still have this one exam that lingers over me. But I'll tell you, uh, the exposure in the actuarial world, mostly around pensions, where I was forecasting uh, liabilities and those sorts of things. But I think the most important thing is the tool set or the foundation that the actuarial training provided me was just uh, very, very valuable. You can use it and apply it in all sorts of different ways. And I really took that foundational training and applied it to the health field in general. Okay, so let's dig a little bit more into your current roles, if you can tell us more about what you do, and and what issues are you and your team responsible for addressing in Alberta? Sure. So my current role is Chief Data and Analytics Officer. So my job is to build the measurement and decision support systems from the data side to support all levels of the health system, from our board to our executives to our managers, right down to our direct care providers. Uh, we have a big data warehouse. Uh, that's our big data asset that we use to, to create our measurement systems and reporting systems. The key here is it's largely secondary in nature. So a lot of the healthcare delivery uh, as humans interact with the system and although it creates a data trail and I scrape up that data trail and we supplement it and put expenditure data and cost data and all that. And, and really we're here to build measurement systems to support the decision-making in, in the system. And so again, like I said, right from the very granular microclinical systems and decision support for clinicians all the way up to policy-related decisions and by executives and the boards and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so hoping you could share a little bit more about the modeling work that you're doing. And in particular, I'm interested in knowing if there's areas that you would like to investigate, but you currently aren't able to address. Modeling is a big component of the healthcare delivery system. And again, also at all levels. One of the big things is really our prediction models right at the care level. These are challenging to build, challenging to adopt. But in essence, we all know there's a lot of interest in AI and machine learning and really these prediction models to help clinicians supplement their knowledge that they've acquired over the years and have some analytic aids on influencing potentially the next decision in care. So a lot of these models are challenging. The one thing is, is that, you know, the stakes are high. When we are, when you're going to do a prediction model at an individual level and potentially influence a clinical decision, uh, you have to make sure those models are valid, reliable, and all 
all of that. So model evaluation is a big piece of all of that. And, you know, I'm not sure if we have true any frameworks on on really managing prediction models, but they, they are out there. They're being used. And again, the, the actuarial uh, foundational skill set prediction models at the individual level are, are very aligned to that. And we have lots and lots of data. That's the nice thing about it. Uh, in Alberta, we have individuals. We've identified the conditions they have uh, with 20 years of data that's in the systems. And then the point estimates, we'd like, we wanted to predict mortality. That's a tough one. But we do have models that do that. Also predicting whether or not an adverse event would happen, like maybe a potential opioid addiction after surgery and all those. So these prediction models really help supplement and complement clinical business. I have to be clear, it's really not mainstream. It's early days, and we are just dabbling in the use of prediction models to support clinical care. But our clinical information systems that we're rolling out in Alberta, actually going to create more and more detailed data on those individuals and make those models even better. That's interesting. It sounds to me like a lot of the work is focused on you know, allocation of costs and predicting costs, but I'm just wondering, are, are you doing any work looking at possibly preventative measures, things you could do to reduce healthcare costs in the future? We, we all know that uh, healthcare is a our health status and healthcare utilization is driven by many factors. The social determinants of health are, are one of the big ones. The the variation in material and, and social deprivation and financial deprivation actually has an impact on health. And we know if we move upstream and understand better the linkages between the environment and behaviors and then ultimately your health status can reduce the health stat, uh, burden in the future. The, the key here is really maximizing length of life and the quality of that life. Uh, and if we can do interventions upstream and reduce that, uh, everybody's going to be better off. So if the science is still a bit weak on that. There's a lot of correlation. So we all know that health and wealth is correlated and social deprivation and health are correlated and all that, but we really don't understand the mechanisms and the cause and effects there. I'm a big believer that socioeconomic data is actually really important right at the point of care. So clinicians can take the science of uh, delivering healthcare and what they've learned and combined the cultural aspect or the social aspect or the financial barriers that may, you know, inhibit people's ability to comply to care standards and care recommendations and all of that. So I think by bringing the socioeconomic data together at the point of care with the clinical system, you can customize or tailor the care to make sure we increase uh, compliance to care and better outcomes and all those sorts of things. Now, do you think there's a place for actuarial modeling techniques and approaches in the public health care space? Can, could they possibly help out with what you're trying to accomplish? Oh, definitely. I think with some of the data sets we have, I think there's a lot of analogies potentially to projecting future costs, uh, you know, when it comes to pensions and those sorts of things. I think exactly the same methods can be used for predicting future healthcare costs. Now, we can also do this at the individual level now that the data is there. So we can model uh, very specifically the person and we can model at that level. Uh, we do what existing conditions they have and the likelihood of using a hot health system and then the long run outcomes. And if you aggregate it up at that individual level, you can produce much more robust estimates. A lot of the modeling these days are pretty high level, like they're and they're at the aggregate level. So, you know, a lot of the common modeling for 
estimating the future burden on healthcare costs are, well, the population's growing and aging. And we take the basic observation that the average cost increases with age. So the more people you have and the older they get, the higher the costs are. But that's a very simplistic view into forecasting healthcare costs. And it really is not actionable. We can't really change the aging and growth of the population with any particular interventions. And healthcare, is, the allocation is a political thing. It's not really a, a, a cost-driven thing. It's there, it's a decision between treasury and there's uh, politics and all sorts of things. And so if you wanted to ask me, if I somebody asked me, what's the predicted expenditure? I'll say, well, what is the government planning on spending? And then that will be the expenditure. So pop growth and aging doesn't create cost pressures. It's only if we respond and grow the system in line with the expected cost. Now, if we go down to the individual level, all of a sudden it makes it way more. And this is where the actuarial techniques I think could come in is when you're talking about healthy individuals and potentially transitioning into a state of diabetes, is there anything we can do about it? Can we manage that health state transition rate? And once they're in the diabetic state, for example, what, what's the probability of using the ED or the emergency department or GPs and all of that? And can we manage and change the way they actually utilize that service? So I think that's the level that we could get to and really embrace the actuarial tools. Okay. It's interesting. It sounds like there's a lot of potential there. Well, thanks once again for speaking to us today on this topic. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for providing the opportunity to uh, share some of our insights. And again, I really think the actuarial uh, toolbox would be totally applied to healthcare, and I think it would add huge value. Thank you. Okay, sounds great. Uh, we now have over 100 episodes in our podcast series, so we encourage you all to, to subscribe, and you can do so through whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. And if you like today's episode, uh, please leave us a five-star rating or a comment, and we'd like to hear from you. So if you have any suggestions or episode ideas, you can send them to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. As well, we're always looking for content for our Seeing Beyond Risk blog. So if you have some ideas you'd like to share, you can reach us at seeingbeyondrisk at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Fivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.